0: Welcome back to Streamageddon, the spooky, scary podcast where we horrify ourselves by trying to watch everything in the streaming TV universe. I am your uh, Prince of Chocolates, Chris Barlow, and I'm joined across the internet by the uh, parasitic uh, ghost demon, parasitic demon who is the shadow of water, who really wants to see the king's speech. I'm talking, of course, about Diane Nora. Diane, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm doing very well. Um, I'm still waiting on fulfilling that that desire, but as soon as I do, I'll be complete
0: one day we'll watch the king's speech together but 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 first we have to talk about the show that we watched together first and listen we are not a movies podcast but one day diane and i will watch the king's speech together because it's an integral part of Los spookies uh the show we watched on hbo for this week's episode that's also on hbo max oh we're going to talk about that i am I am deeply in love with Losis Spookies. It premiered in 2019. It has been over three years since we've had a new episode. Uh, But Diane had never seen it before. And so, Diane, are you as excited as I am?
1: I'm really excited about it. It's like no other comedy you've seen before. I think.
0: I think too. It's from former SNL writer Julio Torres and Fred Armisen and the fantastic comedian Anna Fabrega. We're gonna talk about that show. We will recap its first season. So if like me, you suddenly feel ancient realizing it's been three years since that show premiered, since let alone its first season actually ended over three years ago. So we are going to first cover season one, talk about the show overall, and then in a separate segment, so there is plenty of spoiler warning, we will talk about the the premiere of season two which just premiered on hbo and hbo max if spooky scary bilingual comedy is not your bag well you should listen anyway but maybe sci-fi and big budget disney plus shows are and if that is your bag well we know there's a big budget disney plus show that just premiered this week called andor about a man named i, I don't know his name i maybe it's andor i know it's andor but it's andor w- what is andor getting up to we will talk about that On next week's episode, we'll watch the first three episodes which Disney Plus just dropped this week. So stay tuned for that. But first, stay tuned for some headlines. Amazon, the uh, network streamer we recently spent a lot of time talking about because they uh, have... Released the most expensive television show ever. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. We just did a whole episode about it. You can listen. Uh, They love to spend a lot of money on IP. That's just their their bag now. Everyone else is cash-strapped, and they've decided, no, we will buy it all. Uh, Of course, they bought um, Bond, although they cannot do anything they want with Bond for many, many reasons. But that's not all. They now want to do a Blade Runner TV series... A limited series, they claim. But um, as we all know, the limited series for uh, the swept to the Emmys is coming back for its second season next month. So what does limited series mean anyway? Uh, This is supposedly coming uh, sometime in the future, but is set far in the future. It's called Blade Runner 2099 to separate it from Blade Runner 2049 and Blade Runner 1999. I don't know when that one's supposed to be set. How do you feel about that, Diane? I didn't see 2049. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, I love Blade Runner, but the sequel, uh, you know, movies. I
1: saw it in the theaters. Um, oh, I theaters. found it, uh, yeah. Uh, it's really gorgeous. The way it's shot is beautiful. It's, I found it problematic with some of the uh, gender stuff again. Here I go again. But um, yeah, so story-wise, I didn't really love it. Um, visuals, I was impressed. I love the original, um, but this just feels like Amazon is in their mode of flexing how much money they have. And they sure do. It's interesting when every other streamer (laughs) is really in the process of scaling back right now that this is their strategy. But, um, you know, if you have Bezos kind of money, why not? Sure. Build up the catalog.
0: Right. And they, they, you know, the the playbook there seems to be fewer things but bigger bets and it's fun to watch that as a contrast to say the netflix firehose right
1: oh absolutely or you know everything disappearing from hbo max in the dead of night
0: wow speaking of hbo max let's talk about hbo max It's almost like you could feel it coming from the outline document, uh, because we have so much to talk about with Warner Brothers Discovery and HBO Max this week. So buckle up, folks, before we get to a really good show that airs on HBO and HBO Max. Want to stress, love their content. We're going to talk about a great show you can watch on these platforms later this episode. But first, we have to talk about really bleak things for fans of HBO Max, but I want to begin with one that I have perhaps a contrarian opinion on. Diane, I'm interested to see where you fall on this because the Hollywood Reporter had a piece last week about how... Warner Brothers Discovery has shifted HBO Max's strategy, especially around licensing content and licensing its big exclusive Warner Brothers movies, the things that were launch exclusives when HBO Max launched about two years ago. And the strategy then, back under Jason Kylar's leadership, was we have these exclusively, so you need to sign up for HBO Max to see these. Uh, some examples would be the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies. They had that on lockdown. And now they have licensed it to Amazon. And why would Amazon want that? Well, because they want people to think of Amazon when they think of Lord of the Rings because they have the most expensive TV show ever set in the Lord of the Rings universe. It's a non-exclusive arrangement. It's not like HBO Max gave them up and can't stream them on HBO Max anymore. Uh, This is Warner Brothers Discovery just saying, if you want to write us a check for non-exclusive streaming rights for this, we will happily take that check from you. Diane, what does that feel like to you? Because there are some hot takes on the internet, uh, a place famously known for cool, calm, and, uh, uh, you know, very civil discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just want to read this headline from the A.V. Club. And and again, love the A.V. Club. We link to the A.V. Club often. This is the headline from the A.V. Club. Warner Brothers just does not give a crap about its streaming service, huh?
1: I'm not sure that I think this means that Uh, they do make some good points in the AV club article. Um, But at the same time, and perhaps this is my bias as more of a TV viewer than a movie viewer, especially big franchise movies. uh, I don't watch HBO max. I think that, we might agree on this. I don't watch HBO Max for Lord of the Rings. I didn't know they had Lord of the Rings at any time, though I do like the Lord of the Rings series. Uh, I watch HBO Max for HBO Max originals and HBO content. And I think that it goes along with what you were saying last week about Zaslav building up the HBO brand to be purely HBO again instead of trying to be everything. And in that sense, this makes sense to me. I don't know. Tell me more about your your rationale.
0: I also agree that I don't care about movies very much, and I only care about the TV. But that, I understand, is not everyone's perspective on this. And I respect the movie lovers who want good streaming movie options or care about the fate of streaming movies, because most mid-tier movies are going to be streaming movies, apparently, forever now. So sorry. Uh, But more importantly, I think that the hot takes misjudge where we are in the streaming wars now. Because exclusives get you to sign up for a service, but they don't get you to stay. A back catalog of great comfort food gets you to stay. You will stay, perhaps, for more exclusives that pop up, but not necessarily for a back catalog of exclusives you've already seen. You, if, again, if that's your comfort food, then okay, if it's exclusive, great. But it's not. you're not there because it's exclusive anymore. You're there because it's the comfort food that you like to watch when you're doing dishes or you know, laundry. So, these movies are not the reason many people are signing up for HBO Max as a new purchase. They might be a reason people stay, which is why HBO Max is not giving them away exclusively to anyone, because then when you're looking for something to watch with the family on Friday night, there's the Lord of the Rings trilogy or The Hobbit. Great. But you you didn't sign up for hbo max because of that you signed up because you wanted some of the other content the hbo shows hot d game of thrones whatever it is so i i think you know they're obviously making business calculations here and the choices they've made so far they make sense in this regard there are plenty of other choices like batgirl that you can debate but this situation doesn't feel like the hbo apocalypse everyone uh wants to glom onto.
1: I agree with you on that. And I also think that the timing of it, where we've gotten so much bad news about HBO, may have us all just in a bit of a catastrophic mindset where we assume that every piece of news from HBO is going to be bad news right now, Um, because this seems consistent with the strategy. And also, if they're trying to avoid churn rather than trying to bring in new people, I think this could be effective. And yeah. still get in some revenue, which we know <laughs> we know they're looking to do.
0: Yes, we do. Because keep in mind, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery absorbed all of Warner Brothers' debt when they took on a, the HBO universe, uh, better known as Warner Media, from AT&T. And so, you know, you do have to pay for things. And, again, I don't think that the movies that they're licensing out are the reason people are signing up. That's not to say they're not trying to get people to sign up. They have a strategy for that. It's called House of the Dragon. And others. But let's be real. So, you you know, I I think people have this tendency to think apocalyptically, like you said, that everything is a sign that it's a fire sale that David Haslov's come in and he's given it all away. And it's no slow down. He is murdering Batgirl and shoving her body under a mattress hoping no one notices that. Okay, fine. But this is just business.
1: Uh, I agree with that. I do have some concerns about other Zaslav things, but on this one, I give him a pass. (laughs) Make that money.
0: Let's talk about the ones that are concerning us all, because that's not the only big story in The Hollywood Reporter about David Zaslav's Warner Brothers Discovery this week.
1: There was a great piece by Kim Masters this week that was making a lot of splash on Reddit. To no one's surprise <laughs> About Warner Brothers discover, The title is Warner Brothers Discovery Has Bigger Problems Than Its DC Search And while the info On the DC Universe Was interesting They're looking for their equivalent Of a Kevin Feige um, Feige?
0: I like to say Feige.
1: They're looking for their equivalent of a Kevin Feige, uh, which may be hard to find because he's only one person. Uh, There was an interesting tidbit later in the article about their plans regarding Comcast.
0: Or perhaps Comcast plans regarding them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And just to clarify, Comcast is the owner of NBC Universal. So when we talk about Comcast, we are talking about the people, not the people. Well, they are the people that give you cable in certain parts of the country, so sorry for you. But you do get that cheap version of Peacock for free. Isn't that nice? Peacock premium, not plus. But if you are not thinking this through, we are talking about NBC Universal right now. And why would NBC Universal, the owners of that large conglomerate of networks and streamers that all have differing levels of troubles to them right now. Why would they be interested in this other conglomerate of networks and streamers that have differing levels of troubles right now? What what's going on there?
1: Can I read right from the article? Please. At this point, many industry observers believe that Comcast's Brian Roberts will make a long-awaited move looking to combine NBC Universal and Warner Brothers Discovery. That deal would face some interesting antitrust issues, but would give his company scale and a viable streaming service. All Peacock. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Saying what we're all thinking. That's the question. (laughs) While everyone is, you know, rightfully asking what are they going to do with Discovery Plus and HBO Max, and how are they going to combine them, and what is that going to be called, the the other long-term possibility here is that we really need to be talking about how they're going to combine them with Peacock.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Do you think this is going
1: to go through? Could you
0: imagine if if you had to watch everything on HBO with the Peacock interface? Oh, I'm crying already.
1: They wouldn't do that to us, would they?
0: (laughs) Oh, would they? I think history serves to show us they would. Oh. But, you know, as dark as that sounds, well, well, I, I thought this was really interesting because I have heard rumors about this ever since the Discovery acquisition, that that in the long run, there's so much debt here, they don't really make a match as a streaming setup, and, and the synergies do not multiply enough for it to make sense to some people as a long-term streaming play. Uh, other people think, no, there's a business sense here because cable still brings in a lot of money and David Zaslov knows how to milk that cable cow. So so there's two sides to that argument. But there has been this side that said the long run is they have to merge with someone else. They have to do what AT&T just did to Warner again to to another company, which just nauseating if you work at Warner. But Comcast has been thrown around for that. What struck me about this article is the Hollywood Reporter, and in particular Kim Masters, who is kind of the Hollywood Reporter embodied, uh, putting Mm. their name on this and saying it's kind of an open secret in Hollywood that everyone is waiting for this contractual moment in April 2024 when – Uh, Due to various reasons stipulated in the agreement to merge Warner Brothers and Discovery, that's the soonest they could once again merge or spin off and enter negotiations with yet another company. So technically, contractually, they are not allowed to talk to Comcast about this until April 2024. However she does point out that they bump into each other at all the fancy conferences all the rich people go to and all the snowy places. So uh, you know, it seems like it's definitely something that could be happening on the back burner slowly, but it could not close until 2024 legally.
1: I think uh, legally too, this would, as they pointed out, this would face some major issues so even if they wanted it to happen there could be much further delays beyond that. But Is is this just going to be the future of consolidation and consolidation and consolidation?
0: In a way, yes. I do think what this article didn't get into... That is an open question, as far as I understand it, is whether Comcast would actually want to own this, or if actually the play here is to spin off NBC Universal, get rid of that asset, the exact same way AT and T got rid of Warner, because there was this period where all of the cable companies and wireless providers, all the infrastructure providers, bought the media companies. Verizon mm-hmm. had their streaming service that we love to talk about, Go90. Uh, AT&T bought Warner, Uh, Comcast bought NBC during that time, Uh, 30 Rock fans will remember the transition to Cable Town, a real thing that really happened. Of those, all of them have essentially unwound themselves except for the Comcast deal. The Comcast one is one of the oldest ones that kind of kicked off the trend, and it's the one that's lasted the longest, but it doesn't mean that it makes financial sense. The entire thing kind of feels like a a bubble, a, a stock market tulip craze, you know what I mean? Uh, I think in hindsight, at least, that's kind of how we'll look at it in the the business textbooks. But that's the question in my mind. Are they really talking about, once again, we're going to spin a bunch of media companies off and into each other and see what the combined mess looks like? Because, again, nauseating if you work at Warner, that's been your life every five years, seemingly, for the last decade the last like 20 years this is just warner's fate we've done a deep dive into the history of warner media you can find it in your podcast feed
1: i think the word you use there, mess is apt
0: Mm, is a little messy and gossipy because again there's this long time span on so much of this that everybody just wants to gossip about it and uh that that at some point will get old or perhaps like mentally corrosive if you work at these places so keep in mind this is gossip But it's juicy gossip.
1: It really is.
0: And you know, speaking of some juicy gossip about some things that are stuck in contractual obligations and yet everyone wants to know what's going to happen in the business sense, let's talk about Hulu.
1: Yeah, we've been speculating a lot about the future of Hulu and they teased some information this week. Bob Chapek has been very chatty. (laughs)
0: He's been going to all of the rich people conferences. He was at Code with Kara Swisher. He was at Communicopia. Communicopia.
1: That one really sounds frightening.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And we got some real good juice out of Communicopia. It's a juicy copia.
1: Here is a headline from IndieWire. Disney would love to have full ownership of Hulu before 2024.
0: 2024 this magic year in the streaming universe everything's going to happen in 2024
1: um so uh the the subhead here is that would require reasonable terms from comcast which owns 33% of the streaming service according to chickak yes. so i think that he wants a good deal for it he he doesn't want to end up paying too much but that could mean then that would hulu just be eventually eaten up
0: well yes clearly they want to make hulu uh one with the mothership uh and this is super clear from again communicopia where uh, and if you don't know what communicopia is i don't know why you don't know it's hosted by goldman sachs and do you want to know more or should we just stop here we should just stop you know we should just stop the whole podcast here we ended it i'm sorry communicopia by goldman sachs killed the show but before we end i should say what he talked about bob chapek ceo of the disney would love to make a hard bundle of hulu and disney plus and so now i apologize that i have to say the phrase hard bundle to you a bunch and even worse i have to say the phrase soft bundle in conjunction with the hard bundle diane how how are you feeling is your bundle hard or soft today diane
1: I uh, i don't see how a bundle could be hard but perhaps I'm uh, uh, mixing my metaphors, or well, if your bundle is too hard, too literal.
0: you should talk to your doctor. But uh, if you're... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the definition, as laid out by Bob Chapek, is a hard bundle is when all of the services are in one app, one subscription. That is hard, <laughs> solid. That is in uh, juxtaposition to the soft bundle. The soft bundle currently exists. The soft bundle is Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, and ESPN Plus. All the pluses, and they've got a great ad campaign right now that's super confusing, where they call it Hulu Plus 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 Plus. Uh, that And I could see how Bob Chapek is not a fan of the soft bundle that's so complicated they have a confusing ad campaign trying to explain it to you. So the hard bundle is the future, but the hard bundle would require that Disney fully own Hulu. They cannot make a hard bundle when one-third of Hulu is still owned by Comcast.
1: Amazingly, a hard bundle was not the most disturbing thing he said, in my opinion. Um, It was the the metaphor that he used to describe it, and this is reporting by William Hughes at the AV Club, um, that this Disney plus Hulu hybrid would, quote, not be subject to organ rejection by the consumer. So with this new organ that you've purchased, say, your your, um, black market liver...
0: Don't worry, (laughs) consumer, no organ rejection here. This was in reference to people asking if the content on Hulu would be too adult or off-brand for Disney, which we've talked about before because you've traveled mm-hmm. overseas recently, and it's all just a tab in Disney Plus called Star, uh, which is a, a Hulu of the foreign lands, let's say, and it's already been devoured by Disney Plus and is baked into the hard bundle. So that, that is the future of Hulu, and perhaps Hulu lives on as a brand that's they could go an fx route there i could absolutely see a really complicated version of disney plus where you were wading through tabs and sub tabs to see all the different imprints they own there's marvel there's hulu there's fx there's uh, pixar there you go the, the five imprints they own fox the simpsons it could keep going
1: It's interesting to me because I think some of the criticism that JPEG has faced is sort of about how he doesn't embody the cuddly Disney brand exactly. Um, Like Bob Iger was able to keep the people happy at the parks and and, you know, build everything up, but always, and he was obviously still a brilliant businessman, but he made it seem like he was doing it in this family friendly Disney way. And uh, Chapek has gotten some criticism because he is, you know, doing a bunch of cost cutting. And so that, you know, doesn't always come across as, oh, we're your happy Disney family. Uh, So the fact that he is also saying, look, Disney Plus uh, can be more than just Disney. It is Disney plus uh so if this hard bundle you know is expanding on what we typically think of disney say for users in europe who signed on to disney plus to watch pam and tommy uh which doesn't exactly ring disney to me you know that that may be what disney under bob chapek looks like
0: talk about a hard bundle (laughs) and with that we'll see ourselves out of this news segment and into a review Yes, we're going to talk about a little TV show that airs on one of the many streamers. We've spent uh, enough time today discussing the fate <laughs> of because the fates are a fickle thing. The fates are cosmic. The fates are spooky. Perhaps Los as Spookies, which is a show on HBO and HBO Max. Uh, we are going to first talk about the first season of Los as Spookies, which aired in 2019, which stars Julio Torres as Andres. Uh, he also is one of the co-creators of the show with uh, two other stars, Fred Armisen, who you may have heard of, and Ana Fabrega, who plays Tati. And I'm going to talk so many times about Tati in this episode because I love Tati so much. But the three of them conceived of this show that is basically about a group of friends in Mexico who like to put on spooks. Enough said, Right.
1: I, it's the weirdest concept for a show, and it completely works for me. And also, Los Spookies is just such a fun thing to say. I can't say it without smiling.
0: Los Spookies. The name of their group. They get named that at the end of the first episode. They are Los Spookies.
1: I love that the show doesn't spend too much time explaining why they're doing this or making the like logistics of getting this new business on its feet um like like it doesn't go into that it's just like no obviously there's a need for people to have spooky events in this fictional latin american country in which los spookies takes place or it's not fictional it's it's non-specified right it's non-specified
0: Yeah, I want to I guess I want to say Mexico because they go to LA. And so my mind goes, well, clearly they're in Mexico, but that is actually my, my American imperialism uh, at work.
1: Yeah, they, they, they definitely could be in Mexico. Um, I, I yeah, will say they never quite say
0: the official log line that's staring at me from my device directly in front of me says a group of friends turn their love for horror into a peculiar business providing horror to those who need it in a dreamy Latin American country where the strange and eerie are just part of daily life. And that is the correct log line for the show. <laughs> Maybe should have read that before we started recording. But too late. There's no editing in podcasts. So we're just going to roll with it and say it's a dreamy Latin American country. Uh, and, and dreamy is the right word here there is a magical realism to the show they are putting on these spooky horror movie pranks hijinks uh call it what you may but also completely fantastical things do happen
1: absolutely
0: and it all feels perfectly of the of the same world
1: it does i did not know what to make of this show after just the pilot i mean i i've found myself laughing, but I was kind of like, huh, is this going to be more of a every week there's a new spooky monster event that they're creating, which is sort of how the first season begins to proceed. But it's also become really serialized in its plotting, which I found interesting for this kind of comedy.
0: Yeah, one of the things I found really fun about getting back into the show after a three-year hiatus was mm. uh, f- forgetting that the season is really short. There are only six I episodes know. in the first season, and if you had asked me, you know, a few months ago, uh, how many seasons were in the first episode, it would have been like ten, twelve, it, because it feels like a lot happens, and it's because they manage to uh, have the spook of the week story mm-hmm. and a serialized story, multiple serialized stories uh, eventually going on at the same time. So you feel like a lot is happening in what are really densely packed episodes uh, that don't feel too busy or too dense. It's really uh, expertly done, which is not super surprising in some ways when the creators actually do have such uh, really, really good credentials. Like, again, we're talking about Fred Armisen, who created Portlandia. We're talking about uh, Julio Torres, who is one of my favorite sketch writers from SNL of all time. And Ana Fabrega, who is a comedian from the New York City scene who I did not know before this show, but you can, you can sense her commitment to this vibe, because she's there playing the weirdest, dreamiest character in the show, which is really saying something because Julio plays Andres, the blue haired uh, prince of the chocolate empire, who sees the demon in the water that wants to watch the king's speech. That is a callback to the beginning of our episode, we were talking about a real plot line that really (laughs) happens on this show. And somehow, Tati, Ana Fabregas character, is even dreamier and weirder than that.
1: It's amazing that, I mean, there are episodes with Fred Armisen, Carol Kane, and, Ta- and Anna Fabrega, and she's the funniest person. She's the funniest person on the show. I mean, and, and it's a great ensemble, but she's just so strange.
0: <laughs> she, she is kind of part of their extended friend group. The core friend group is uh, Andres rinaldo rinaldo actually the star of the show this is actor bernardo mm-hmm. velasco he is the the head of the los spookies group he's the one whose life is dedicated to horror quite hilariously in some episodes when his uh, mother is trying to get him laid and he's like i've told you i don't have time for sex my only passion is horror
1: <laughs> and his uncle is fred armison which who is how his character uh is part of the whole mix
0: and we'll talk a bit about this when we get to season two, but they're they're clearly pivoting uh, Fred Armisen's role in the group for season two. Because in season one, Fred Armisen is in L.A., where he is one of the m- most well-respected valet parkers in the universe, it seems. He's the most skilled valet parking attendant you've ever met. And th- they spend a lot of time on that setup, though it pays off later in the season when he uh, winds up meeting and saving Carol Kane's character, who is a famous horror movie director which gets uh, Renaldo really excited and they want to come up and work on her new movie, which is not a movie because she's washed up and crazy, but that's so much fun. And then being a valet becomes a plot in the werewolf movie starring Anne Hathaway, but it's not Anne Hathaway, that Renaldo comes up to help them film as the story gets really serialized and builds to a kind of really good emotional arc at the end because Renaldo decides to pursue his dream alone without his group and he leaves the rest of Los Spookies behind in their fictional Latin American country and he tries to make this movie dream happen with uh, Carol Kane's character Bianca Nova by himself and he is immediately disillusioned with his dreams of Hollywood it is absolutely nothing like he thought it would be and realizes that he feels incomplete without his group that the work they do together he's only one piece of it and it is his passion but he can't do it alone and that arc, that, like, somehow this show that is about making horror spooks in a dreamy world winds up hitting this really, like, poignant story, but it doesn't linger on that. It doesn't wallow in, like, the emotional beat of it, but it it rings true, which is a really satisfying uh, and surprising direction, given that the first episode is mostly about faking an exorcism. <laughs>
1: It really is very satisfying first season. And if you want, you can enjoy it like I did in a single sitting. I mean, I may have paused at one point to get some snacks, but, you know, it it's it flies right by. It doesn't even feel like you're watching three hours of television, uh, which says something about my life, perhaps. But I think that uh, there is is something to the writing that you can tell these people have not only sketch experience, but it also feels like improv in some ways, where they don't do any explaining. They just say, these are the given circumstances, and we're rolling with it, and we just are moving forward and forward and forward. Um, And so by the time you get through the first season... Everything does make sense in terms of the plot, like, but it has gotten so complicated.
0: Oh, yeah. And they could I- immediately invent a new thing and it would feel of a piece. So you also mm-hmm. know it's kind of shifting sand under your feet. You don't really know how dreamy the world is because it keeps getting weirder and dreamier. A uh, case in point. There's I last night because I wanted to rewatch one more episode before we recorded. I had to get my Loser Spookies fix in. I rewatched the episode from season one where the ambassador from America, who is dressed all in pink at this hilariously Barbie House pink uh, embassy, she gets trapped in a cursed mirror.
1: She's sort of like a like a dumb Elle Woods.
0: Yes. Yes, and she's she's hired Losa Spookies to fake an abduction so that she can go on a two-week vacation instead of a one-week vacation. But their plan to fake her abduction has to be spooky, so they get a giant spooky mirror, and they're going to fake her being trapped in the spooky mirror. But then it turns out the mirror actually is spooky and cursed, and she actually gets trapped in the spooky mirror, and now she's in the mirror dimension which is not like a mere universe. If you're thinking Star Trek, bizarro universe, parallel universe, no, no, no. It's a dimension full of mirrors. She's walking around just a beach covered in mirrors.
1: It's great. I love that. So they could have gone the path of resolving that issue at the end of the episode. And they do a little bit. Like it has a resolution in that she gets out of the mirror, but her reflection gets out of the mirror too. So then there are two uh, two of her um which is a lot because she is very dumb um in in the real universe again or in the universe of los spookies um and i love that about the show that it's just letting things get more and more complicated because they realize that they can use these complications for more jokes
0: yeah, because of course Andres then says, well, he knew the mirror was cursed. That's why it was the spookiest one. That's why he picked it. <laughs> You know the other moment I wanted to call out from that episode that just gets to that improv vibe when mm. the Aspookies come to visit the ambassador at her office, and again she 's hiring them, so she called them there she 's having a meeting with one of the other women working at the embassy, and as the Aspookies come in, she turns to everyone and goes, "You all have to leave now you're all you all have to go it 's all only the Aspookies can stay, and that means and she turns to this other woman and goes, "Your time with us is over it 's just <laughs> you i 'm so sorry." Uh, You will not be the next ambassador from the United States. And it suddenly turns into like a moment from somebody being let go on The Bachelorette.
1: It was so good. That's also a nice little bit of satire, you know, in this in this very silly world. We are, you know, a uh, a deeply materialistic country. Sometimes it does feel like everything is The Bachelor. I loved that moment, too.
0: Also, what's so great about this show is it is that perspective on the world. It is the Latin American view of both the U.S. and of Latin American culture. And so one of the other running plot lines through the first season, and now definitely continuing into season two, but we will get there, uh, is about a, a Latin American daytime kind of news talk show uh, that that when you see... the. The vibe of it, you go, Yes, I know the vibe of that. I've seen that channel surfing past Univision. Uh, And this show has a host who is one of these beautiful, tall uh, Latin American women, Gloria. I host the show. Gregoria. Gregoria Santos, thank you. Gregoria Santos. And she turns out to be some kind of automaton zombie. Yes. When the lights of the studio go out, she kind of goes limp
1: she's sort of gaining consciousness too over the first season so it seems like she may be recovering some memories that were um somehow repressed perhaps willfully repressed by her employers slash captors (laughs) um uh where you know she's remembering some moments on the beach and stuff it's like almost seems like something you would see in like a campy soap but uh in in this version, it's just very funny.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't get resolved in the first season. No. It's, a, it's a runner, and they occasionally intersect with the main story because they do sometimes report on the spooky things that happen. But for the most part, it's kind of separated until the producer, the kind of evil captor producer who seemingly controls Gregoria Santos, uh, gets her eyes on one of the members of a spookies, Uh, specifically ursula we haven't talked about ursula yet she is the level-headed one she's the one who actually thinks they're doing practical jokes you know Mm -hmm. and when somebody disappears into an actually cursed mirror she's the one who thinks that's weird where everyone else in the group goes yeah cursed mirror cursed mirror
1: well i think also for ursula she seems to be engaging with the material world in a way that the other characters aren't. So Andres is from this chocolate d- dynasty, as we, as we discussed earlier Charlie briefly. Charlie
0: Wonka. Charlie Wonka Chocolates. Right. The deliberately, you know, copyright infringing name they gave the chocolate company is beautiful.
1: Um, So he doesn't really have to worry about money in the first season. Uh, Ronaldo lives with his mom. So, again, also, it's not the same for him. And uh, Ursula takes care of herself. You know, she actually works. She works at a dentist's office at one point. um, And she also seems to be providing for her sister, Tati, who, as we mentioned, is... The most ethereal of the characters, uh, yes, uh, and uh, you know, unable to hold down a job.
0: Yeah, a quick recap of Tati in season one would be: she gets caught up in an uh, like a, sh- a fitness shake scam. earbalite which mm-hmm. involves John Early making threats to, like, break her knees, which I could watch over and over again for the rest of time. Uh, then she gets a part-time job manning the second hand on a large clock, like a clock tower clock. There's a whole episode where there are these scenes, and she's in there holding the second hand on the inside of the clock. She is inside the clock tower, and she is just with her arm moving the second hand. And, of course, at a certain point, they point out that she's not keeping time accurately, and now the clock is three. Three hours off. She <laughs> loses that job. Then she falls in love with a Prince Charming she meets on a dating app, and his profile is a drawing. And so everyone thinks, Tati, you're being catfished. But then it turns out he really is a prince, but then she doesn't fall in love with him. So then, at the end of the season, she winds up marrying Andres' fiancé, because the other big runner of the season is that Andres is supposed to be married kind of an arranged marriage by his chocolatier family to Juan Carlos, who is the heir to a cookie family fortune. And this would be the marriage of chocolate and cookies.
1: A match made in heaven. Uh,
0: Juan Carlos is hilarious. He is a Mm. fitness influencer. And honestly, as I rewatched this first season, it, it struck me how kind of prescient their influencer culture critique is, because yes, influencers were a thing in 2019. Uh, It felt timeless because it was true then, and it's even more true now. The show has not aged poorly in any sense of that.
1: No. As as a fitness influencer myself, I would recommend making your popcorn before you sit down to watch three hours of Los Espookis, so you never have to pause it.
0: Always good advice. I I turn to Diane for all my uh, when to popcorn uh, tips we could open up a new segment popcorn corner you'll just tell me <laughs> when during the season should i pause and go make popcorn can you get to work on that like a spreadsheet
1: absolutely
0: thank you so much one thing i wanted to ask you about with of spookies uh, as somebody new to the show how do you feel about this it's subtitle heavy i uh, what, where are we on subtitles
1: i'm really in favor and i watch almost everything with subtitles i know that some people don't like to do that i was uh actually i read earlier this morning i'll I'll shoot you the link so we can drop it in the in the show notes um an article about how uh uh gen z and millennials are more likely to watch shows with subtitles um i think uh yeah, it's just my preferred way of watching. I always get a bit thrown when I watch things with people who don't like having the subtitles on. So I'm like, oh gosh, I have to listen to this whole thing. I can't just read the show. Um, but yeah, the, the show is in Spanish and my Spanish is very poor. So, uh, you know, this having the subtitles is great. Uh, I didn't find it, you know, to be an issue at all. Uh, how do you feel about, about subtitles? Do you watch them i was setting you up for no? that
0: i have subtitles on all the time always forever now and when an app turns them off somehow like the amazon app did with lord of the rings i get confused i don't know anyone's name but that, that was my problem with lord of the rings it turns out why didn't i know any of the characters names because the prime app updated and the subtitles got turned off and it, it is something where i expect it to be there and i don't know what's missing if it's not there Uh, Los Spookies, obviously, I would notice if it's not there. I need it. Uh, But what I find really interesting about a Spookies is it isn't entirely in Spanish, so there's a lot of context switching because, you know, scenes with... Tico, that's Fred Armisen's character, and Carol Kane in LA, a lot of that's in English. But there's Mm -hmm. also scenes in the dreamy Latin American country where they speak in English with the American ambassador. Or there's a scene where the American ambassador is speaking English, and they're speaking Spanish, but she has a translation crystal in her ear so she can hear them okay. I love that they don't try to make us believe that the American ambassador can speak Spanish. They instead have her put a translation crystal in her ear, and we just go, yes, yes.
1: Yes, that uh, that does seem plausible. (laughs) Um, I could see that for some viewers, this might uh, limit the audience. But I think that's their loss because this is such a there's nothing else like this show on right now.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think it really benefits this show because there's so much happening. Like we said, the stories are kind of dense. They seem slight and uh, goofy and and they are goofy. But they aren't really slight. There is a lot going on. And the subtitles and the language barrier force you to pay attention. And so I actually think you'll enjoy the show more this way because you you won't miss any of the details. And also it'll force your eyes to pay attention to the screen. And this show is full of really delicious visual humor. Uh, There's Andres in the pool, often in the pool with his, you know, shockingly blue hair, drinking out of a juice box. But it's not an ordinary juice box. That'd be that'd be funny, but not as funny as a blue and silver bedazzled juice box that is literally entirely bedazzled to the point where you have to look at it for a second before you realize, yeah, that's a juice box. And again, this man, I also don't want you to think that he's playing a child. He's playing a 30-something. They're all very deliberately in their early 30s, which I found really enjoyable as somebody in their early 30s, both when the show premiered and now. Don't ask any questions. But... Uh, there's something really true to them being in this kind of arrested development part of their life again we talked about how ursula is actually the more uh, adult uh, one with worldly problems she has to deal with the financial fallout of tati getting caught up in a multi-level marketing scheme for example andres and Ronaldo do not have to deal with that kind of problem but there is something really real to they know that and so you know, they point out Andres is a 30-something living with his parents. Rinaldo is a 30-something living with his parents. At the same time, they're pursuing their, their passions, and the show kind of celebrates that. So it's neither, it's not really taking a side. It's just saying, yes, the, there are people like this. And as goofy as the adventures they go on seem, you know people like this.
1: Absolutely. I also really like that, Uh, the show portrays working people with normal jobs in um, a really human way for all its goofiness, you know. I love that uh, Tico cares about being a valet and really wants to be a great valet. Like, that made me so happy. You know, after uh, I also love Succession and watching people talk about their private jets or their PJs, but, you know, that is so far removed from my life and as someone who works a ton of gigs sometimes which don't feel very glamorous the fact that these people are pursuing their passions and some of them have to deal with uh you know family pressure while some of them have to deal with family pressure and also earning a living from it (laughs) um really feels like uh some conflicts that I actually lived through and I, I just found that really refreshing.
0: Yeah, and uh, that is a direction the show seems to be leaning further into. We will talk about season two in just a moment. But I want to end with where season one ended, because that is important information if you're moving into season two. And that would be uh, uh, the wedding, the wedding uh, between Andres (laughs) and Juan Carlos. Uh, Andres does not want to get married to Juan Carlos, but his family has threatened to completely cut him off if he does not go ahead with the great cookie-chocolate merger juan carlos knows that andres is spooky that is clear but he also does not want to entertain so much spookies in their life i also just want to pause and say at no point does anyone care that this is a gay wedding and i love again that this Mm -hmm. show exists in a universe where the dreamy rules just say we present it as it is here in this universe and everybody is just fine with it we're having a big catholic gay wedding and i love that And I love even more that in order to get out of the wedding, they set up this really deliberate scene when uh, Juan Carlos says to Andres, the most embarrassing thing that could happen is if there was a slight mix-up during the (laughs) wedding. And if there is a slight mix-up during the wedding, I will kill you, essentially. I, I am paraphrasing. I'm not as good at writing Spanish dialogue as these writers are. But they lean into this because I gotta be honest even when I rewatched the season finale I was like why are they really making Juan Carlos make such a big deal out of this I can't remember the point of him making such a big deal out of this and the reason is because when Tati shows up to the wedding she picks up a pen to sign the guest book and enjoys writing her name so much she just takes the pen and starts writing her name on hats and like uh, tablecloths and at at this point in the season I'm just like yes that's Tati Tati's doing Tati and Er Ursula sees this, and then Ursula sees that the priest has a little pink book with the like marriage certificate in it, and cut to when Juan Carlos and Andres are literally about to exchange vows, Andres says, I'm not going to marry you, and the priest goes, that's correct. It says here on the paper that he's marrying Tati, because Ursula had Tati sign her name on the marriage contract, and Juan Carlos who will not tolerate a mix-up being revealed as a mistake or a mix-up, has no choice but to go along with it to save face, and he marries Tati. And the internal logic of this show is so tight that, trust me when I say, that made perfect sense.
1: It did. Uh, I will say that I was trying to find a way to recap that neatly last night when I was watching the new episode with my partner who hasn't seen season one. I was like, it's funny, just go with it. (laughs) And I could not explain that as well as you just did. So thank you (laughs) for walking us through that. Because it, 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 it all makes sense in this universe. And while it is comedically satisfying and puts a nice little pin on that story for now I also had an emotional response because Juan Carlos is not always the nicest and you know I like worry about our Tati
0: I know me too and I think that is a perfect time for us to give uh, all the listeners out there you have three seconds if you care about spoilers for season two episode one of Los Spookies because we are about to spoil that episode of Losa Spookies. It's been three seconds. Let's talk about season two of Los Spookies. Uh, And yes, I'm worried about Tati, because she is still in this marriage with Juan Carlos. It's about a month or so later, they they say, uh, to give us just a sense of how much time has passed in universe. Uh, So the marriage is still new, but she is suddenly believing that the marriage is real
1: yeah i mean tati does seem very um vulnerable to suggestion (laughs) people tell her things and and she believes them so uh it does make sense for this character to suddenly believe that her marriage is a real one and technically it is uh but uh, She's I, yeah.
0: Also, going to a job every day where they have her in a shock collar and they are shocking her so she will advance slides in a PowerPoint presentation.
1: At the at the cookie company, I yep. think mm-hmm. right for That's Juan Carlos. Think. That's yeah. what I think. So it seems like now he's controlling her work. Uh, and quite literally physically controlling her with this shock collar.
0: Though I, you know, that scene where she comes home from the office that day, and she, she kind of hints at what she went through at the office, Juan Carlos laughs as if he thinks she's making a wacky joke. Like, part of me also he wonders might he might not know because Tati says weird things. This is in in universe for Tati. Uh and and so I have lots of question marks around what was going on in her office life and in her personal life. And they clearly are setting that up as a season-long Uh, journey I think that we're going to go on with Tati as we went on a kind of season long journey with Tati without knowing it in season one because she is secretly sort of the spirit animal of the show
1: I do love that she was looking for her prints, and now she found the the print of cookies.
0: (laughs) Yes, that is how she's framed it, which is, again, scary, actually, because she does say these things with perfect conviction. At the same time, she also has told us that she experiences time as a circle and not a line, and that she knows things will happen before they happen. She said this when she married Juan Carlos at the end of Mm -hmm. season one, that she knew she would marry Juan Carlos, and... Okay, maybe then she's still in control of her destiny. Or maybe there is no destiny. Or maybe you can't control destiny. They, they use her to pose those really uh, confusing metaphysical questions just casually. And then we move on. <sighs>
1: Almost everything in this show, I think nothing is like dwelled on, you know, for being about these kind of emo kids. I thought that it might be a little bit emo when I first heard the concept. It really is not at all. It's just like, wouldn't this be funny? <laughs> and even the horror stuff, it's not, never too, uh, it's, it's guy in a suit type horror. Oh, yeah. It's not like, you know, Saw.
0: No, no. They really are leaning into classic horror film tropes in so much of it. When they're doing the practical stuff, the actual spooks, we can see the fishing line a lot of the time. We can watch them pulling the pulleys. It's very practical. It's very cute in some ways. and And fun. And then sometimes something completely magical does happen. Or sometimes they pull off a practical trick that you, the viewer, go... I think that's the magic of television right there. And they're fine with that. There's one where a guy falls through a bed and then, like, falls back through the ceiling back into the same bed. And how did they pull that off? Editing. But in the universe of the show, it feels like, yes, that's within the realm of things they could pull off. It's it's practical. Nothing feels CGI or mag- magic in that way. Everything feels like they, they found a way to physically do that.
1: Yeah, I I think that part of it really works. I do wonder, okay, so did you rewatch any of it before you watched the new season? Because I think if I hadn't watched it so recently, I might be a little lost. That was my
0: question to you, especially because you you bring up watching it with your partner and them really not knowing what's going on in season two, episode one. And I do think season two, episode one, just drops you right in where they left off in a way where if you... If I had not watched the finale right before I watched the Uh, premiere of season two I would have probably stopped ten minutes in and gone back because I needed Mm -hmm. that context to remember oh right Andres left the altar right Andres did not get married to Juan Carlos right and that means that he's been disowned by his family right and that means he doesn't live there and he doesn't have unlimited resources anymore and so he's sleeping at Reynaldo's and Reynaldo is sleeping on the floor because of course Andres is the prince of chocolate and he gets the bed And, and so there are these moments of like oh right right they don't do a ton of hand-holding there. There's a little bit, uh, once the episode gets going, where they kind of toss in some exposition, but not enough if you're new to the show.
1: No. There are some kind of zany comedies where you're like, oh, I can just jump in and like It's crazy. So it doesn't matter. And I don't think this is that show. On the one hand, it does pull you in because the plot moves so quickly that it's like a really fun ride. But on the other hand, I could see that limiting its audience in some ways um, because you, you really just can't jump in. I, yeah. th- I think you got to start at the beginning.
0: But the good news is you can start at the beginning because the first mm-hmm. season is only six episodes, easily streamable on HBO Max. And the new season is dropping weekly on Fridays on HBO and HBO Max. So you have time to catch up. And it's the perfect time to watch something spooky because it's about to be spooky season.
1: It so is. So why not
0: have it be Losa spooky season?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they also picked up the uh, Gregoria Santos plot uh in season two where uh, they are pursuing ursula for uh, to be the next gregoria santos replacement
0: it sounds like she might be the eighth or ninth (laughs) gregoria santos based on what they're saying it's a little terrifying
1: again that was the the um zombie-like or potentially robotic tv host um and so she's being sort of stalked and uh, i i'm really curious as to where that plot line is gonna go i think they've put the characters in more danger in this new season whereas last season it was more like how are they gonna get out of this mess but it was never like oh i hope they're okay do you know what i mean
0: and like ronaldo is seeing a ghost essentially Mm -hmm. the other plot they set up in the a premiere is that Ronaldo keeps seeing this uh, Miss Latin America who was impaled by a giant, seemingly decorative anchor.
1: That's what it looked like. That's yeah.
0: what it looks like. And he sees her at the supermarket. He sees her in the street. He sees her when he's sleeping. And that seems to be a real spooky ghost. Real spooky ghost. Uh, what that has to do with him, I don't know. And but it does give this sense of something. Dangerous, something actually a little threatening to him. I would say the person who's in the least danger appropriately is Andres. Andres goes through a lot of drama and a lot of spooky mystical things, uh, but he's not ever really in danger, and that doesn't really feel like something his character needs.
1: I do think that part of what Ronaldo is going through is related to his relationship with Andres, though, because I think, you know, Andres is stressing him out. He's losing sleep. And that could be related to him seeing the ghost. Uh, You know, it seems like also in this world, the ghost could just exist because this is a spooky world. So um,
0: could just be a spooky ghost.
1: Could just be a spooky ghost, but I do think that they're going to do a little bit more relationship unpacking with those two. I would say the two lead characters, you know, Ronaldo yeah, and Andres. Yeah, they are. They're
0: kind of, in a way, they're the actual love interest of the show. Like, you, you'd never actually root for Juan Carlos and Andres, but in a Jim and Pam way, you root for Ronaldo and Andres. When, when, uh, Ronaldo goes to l a to make the movie with Bianca Nova in season one. You're sad because you don't want him to be apart from the group, and Absolutely. so much of that is the best friend dynamic between him and andres,
1: yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that um and but though the show seems like pretty uh content with the fact that um ronaldo seems asexual and i I love that again like you were saying with the gay wedding there's like the show is just like this is this world and this is great
0: yep and everything's just fine with that you know i Mm. i I, it does take place in kind of a a horny version of a christian country and i really (laughs) enjoy that choice
1: as do I I was also really glad that in season two they brought back um the the water shot the shadow of water (laughs) character played by um Spike Einbinder who is Hannah Einbinder's sibling um who folks may know Hannah Einbinder from Hacks yeah so uh what a family
0: yes yes the shadow of water is back having not really enjoyed the king's speech that much (laughs) Uh, And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Because we also now have the addition of a new mystical ghostly character like that in the shape of the moon. Andres Mm. calls on the moon when he needs to find his missing earring in the street. And we do see the moon suddenly light up very bright in the street and he finds his earring. So this season we'll spend more time with the moon, the shadow of water, Tati and Juan Carlos... And, of course, the entire Losa Spooky's gang. I can't wait. More time with Uncle Tico because uh, there is no more cars to Valet Park because their self-parking cars have taken over L.A. And so we are promised that Uncle Tico is coming down to join them. And that's what they're uh, teasing for the rest of the season. We will watch all those episodes and report back.
1: Beep, beep.